God's design for marriage is found in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Welcome to By Design from American Family Radio. Mm, welcome, welcome, welcome to By Design. Well, we probably, well, not probably, Abraham Hamilton III here. I'm joined by my lovely wife. Say, what's up, babe? Hey, 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 what's up? We have commandeered By Design and transformed it into the Hamiltons, plural, <laughs> corner. But we're going to chat about the wonderful union that God has established, the first institution, quite frankly, uh, that God has established when he unfolded the created order. It is family. And the fundamental rubric or foundation of that familial unit is marriage. And I love the allusion to the scripture in Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses uh, about four through six, where the scripture says, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And a part of the reason why that that scripture, it moves me for numerous reasons. We can delve into the depths of that scripture in particular. Uh, but Jesus says that in response to the Pharisees attempting to question him about marriage. And so the Pharisees are a group of Hebraic theologians who do nothing but study the scriptures. But Jesus hits them with the, have you not read? That's almost like asking a butcher, do you know what a T-bone steak is? Right. <laughs> or like asking a farmer, have you, do you understand that strawberries grow on vines? <laughs> you know, it's it's really a, 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 a direct affront uh, to these people who dare question the author of marriage about marriage. Well, my wonderful wife and I, we're here. We want to have a conversation with you all uh, just for a, a brief moment about something that is prevalent. And if we don't understand it, it could become an impediment to us thriving in this wonderful institution of marriage. And it is the complementarity where the opposites attract. Opposites attract. Now, babe, I want to kick this over to you. When you think about the idea, because those who may not know us very well, you and I are quite different from one another. Not only with the biological distinctiveness that we both have, equal in value before God as fellow image bearers, but distinct in our design, where we are not identical to one another. You and I are quite different different when you think about the difference between you and I and uh, the differences that are often presented in marriage between spouses what immediately comes to your mind um you know it's interesting because when we first met um I saw qualities in you that were attractive but it was the your core conviction and your core commitment to the Lord that was so it was like oozing out of you and so that was very attractive at first um but I realized that you, the way God made you and God designed you and like this, your strengths and your weaknesses and your... Whoa, whoa, whoa. You say weakness? <laughs> yes. I have weaknesses? Your makeup, right? <laughs> All those I things. Do. Silly. All those things um, are very, very different from me. Like they're just completely drastically different from me. And I should have done this. I don't think I've introduced you all to my wife by name. If you don't know and, and you're new to either American Family Radio or new to the By Design podcast... Um, I'm Abraham Hamilton III. My wife is Maria 
Hamilton. I should have said that from the beginning. I'm sorry, baby, interrupt you. Go back. Go That's ahead. okay. What you were saying? Yeah, I know. So I was just, um, you know, at first when we first were getting to know each other, I remember I would always ask you, "Who, who are you? Like, who <laughs> thinks this way?" Because it was like it was foreign. Just your, the way that you reason, the way that you um, think things through, and and just everything about you was very different from me and my experiences. Um, but one thing that we do have in common that we have had in common from the beginning was our complete commitment and passion for God. Mm. And so that has been like the stabilizer, like the unifying uh, component. Um, And really God has allowed us to grow to a place where we can literally become one. I say literally, but becoming one, um, understanding though that we are still very much different in our, and we see that every day, Mm -hmm. in our reasoning and the way we do things and the way we process information and all of that. Well, that's so good what you said about the, the your allusion to the oneness, because that's a scripture that I just read said the two become one. There is a instantaneous spiritual reality of oneness that is pronounced at the day the covenant is entered, the marital covenant is entered into. But there's also the oneness process. It's very similar uh, to salvation, how it's the already but not yet phenomenon to where when we're regenerated, when we're born again, we become saints of the Most High God. And at the same time, we are in the sanctification process. The same is true when marriage, that when we're joined together in holy matrimony, the two become one instantaneously, yes. But there's also the practical lived oneness that is developed over time. And so I want to pitch this question because I think some people can be confused here uh, because I want to make sure everybody is clear. When God joins us, he knows that we are two different people, one man, one woman for life. The man is not identical to the woman, not only uh, non-identical in physical makeup, but also in personality, all right? And the woman is not identical to the man, but the Word of God also says that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So you described, though we have these personality distinctions, differences, the foundation, or should I say the covenantal environment that allows for these differences to thrive in aiding us in the purpose that God God joins us together is this common commitment to Christ. So how would you explain the, the commonality that we both share in our commitment to Christ? How did that contribute to the, our ability? How would you say it contributes to our ability to look at our differences and not allow them to be impediments to our union and our intimacy, which if you knew school, that ain't limited to physical, all right? How does our common commitment to Christ aid us in allowing our differences to be a strength for us as a union as opposed to an impediment to us as a union? Okay, so we got just what you guys just heard was abisms and on display. You see how the question had like 25 words? That's what I'm talking about differences. I'm like, okay, I'm following, I'm following, I'm following. Okay, so. so that's why you're looking at me with that smirk yes, on your face so while I'm asking like, your question. Really? Yeah, I'm like, you're exposing yourself right there. That's my point right there. Okay, so I think I got your question. Um, when we enact, do you want me to give a practical example? Because sure, we can do that let's too. Do it. But, this is by design. We right. want to talk about the design of the design. Right. Let's do it. So, so, of course, understanding that our main commitment, first and foremost, is to honoring God with who we are and what we do, what we say, and what we think, um, we have been able to grow together, but understanding that every engagement that we have with one another, it is either going to glorify God or it is going to dishonor him. Mm. And so, and again, we can talk practical, practical examples, but, um, with that in mind, I think we have tried our best and we're not perfect, but we have tried our best as, um, uh, a union to 
honor God with the way we treat each other, right? Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think you've said that you you said that early on, where you were you know you would say things like, um, you know, saying that I'm a daughter of God and you're a son of God, and so you know you, we, we, we want to make sure we honor. Uh, each other because we see each other in that light, mm-hmm. right? Like I would not abuse one of God's children. Mm-hmm. Um, and you say early on, you mean early on when? In our marriage, in our okay. marriage. And so, but as we have had real time discussions and differences, because again, we ha- we not only co- have different personalities, but we have different backgrounds, uh, different experiences growing up, di- uh, different, almost everything. And so uh, coming together, we can, we can get to the place where we are, are polar opposites, polar opposites uh, in our in our positions, right? In, mm-hmm. in whatever discussion. And so I remember this one I always use is we're in the car driving in Houston. <laughs> and I don't remember what the discussion was about because at the end of the day, it really it, it ends up being uh, insignificant. But whatever the discussion was, I remember looking out the window, looking at the clouds like, Lord, if you don't help me say this right, I don't know what I'm going to do because I want to honor you. But in the moment, you know, you have the emotions aroused and, and we have the disagreement or whatever. And so I'm looking out the window and I'm like, Lord, help me to honor you with the words that I say to this man, you know. And so having allowing in the very moment to um, for the Holy Spirit to to help me to honor him with my words as I talk to you, Mm. because it's not just me talking to you or us trying to come to an agreement or compromising in the middle. Like, it's not just that, but it is Lord, help me to honor you in the way that I talk to him. Mm. You know, and so that is a practical example of like our differences and our even being at, at polar opposites in a discussion because of our differences. Um, but but at the same time, wanting to honor God, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that, that that's a really good example. And so those of, for those of you who may not know, this may be your first time hearing from us. Uh, Maria and I have been married 12 years. Uh, we met in Houston, Texas, which is where we met. Uh, we where we lived after we initially got married as well. Um, and I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana, born and raised, Ninth Ward. Hey, holla at me. And my wife is from Puerto Rico, you know, and so we have different backgrounds. Uh, I grew up um, as a quote-unquote church kid. My parents uh, became Christians the year I was born, and so I grew up with that background. My wife grew up with a complete polar opposite background. So all of these things uh, were present as God joined us together. And, and so, like she said, uh, I'm exposing myself with my, my multi-layered questions uh, because that was something else we encountered uh, growing up, growing up, after mm-hmm. we first got married. Uh, because that one of the things that just as a personality trait is I don't like being misunderstood. So I had the tendency to over-communicate. You know, and that is something that was an adjustment for you when we uh, first got married. And so I, with that kind of as a backdrop, I want to ask this next question. Um, what do you think the breakdown, how do you think it breaks down when uh, a, a couple pursues marriage and they're unable to navigate uh, identifying their differences for the benefit of their union? And more importantly, for the benefit of fulfilling the purposes that God has for that union what do you think causes or contributes to the breakdown into those differences being a source of strength for the couple as opposed to them being an impediment for the couple moving forward? I think I followed. Um, so the, the, um, what, what causes them to, to remain an impediment? Is that yes. what you're asking? Well, yeah. What do yeah. you think ca- causes that? 
Yeah. Yes. The difference is, yeah, I think we, we don't understand marriage is, is a sanctifying uh, mm. vehicle that God uses. Um, I know that uh, there's this idea in the world that says, oh, you know, you don't want to lose yourself in your marriage or like, mm. you know, lose your identity or whatever that means. But um, I know that as a Christian and as one who who understands that God has ordained marriage, and I'm not trying to like spiritualize it like, fluffy it up or anything like that I, I'm honestly like the Lord has revealed in his word that marriage is his design Amen. and so and he has um, explained if you will the way um, that he desires for it to look because it is an illustration of him and our his relationship with us as his bride right mm-hmm. so keeping that in mind you know when we enter into that 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 oneness or that union um, with each other if we remain in our corners like if I say no I only want to eat arroz con gandules. And you say, no, I'm only eating gumbo, right? And so then I'm like, no, man, like I don't eat that. Mm -hmm. And I remain in my corner, you remain in yours, then we're going to allow that to become an impediment for coming together. And I know that's very, you know, crude and really insignificant, but you can use that example with bigger, more more significant things. Um, And and we ignore the fact that we can truly grow, grow to be Christ-like by... um, working together to honor God in this union. And I've, we've seen that. I mean, mm-hmm. you can give examples if you want, but we've seen we've seen how uh, we have uh, uh, asked the Lord to help us to be open to the sanctification process of our, in our within our marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've highlighted things that I that I have that I lack in character and then I have attempted to do the same thing with you. And so it's been uh, beneficial because mm-hmm. the purpose or one of the I don't want to say the main purpose, but one of the 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 benefits of being married is that you can grow to be more Christ-like. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something that that I think is is um, minimized and sometimes even obscured in our society. Because when you think in in today's uh, cultural climate, when people think about marriage, it's very self-centered. It's very you know quite nor- narcissistic. People say things like, "Oh, I want to marry her because she does this for me. She uh, makes me feel this way. She does this for me," which honestly is not a very Christian and biblical way of to view marriage. One of the great benefits, as you so so appropriately stated, is that marriage is one of God's most effective sanctified sanctification tools that exist. You know, it becomes a mirror to where uh, character deficiencies, sinful issues. Did I just say sinful issues? Yes. (laughs) Sinful issues are exposed that probably would not be able to be as effectively exposed if it had not been for that intimate marital relationship. And the Lord allows it to reveal ourselves to ourselves. Not so that we can remain ourselves. And so to the point uh, where he says, well, you know, I'm losing myself. Well, here's the reality. If you are a Christ follower, God didn't want you to, quote unquote, lose yourself. But he certainly wants you to lose the sinfulness of yourself before you met him. Yeah, to die to to yourself. He says that. Yes, he wants to transform us into to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And so. Um, it's in, in critically important. I think you wanted to say something. I'll say this and I'll, sh- I'll, I'll pass it over to you. Uh, it's critically important that we understand that <laughs> when when the Lord says things in Scripture like uh, don't reject the discipline of the Lord, those whom the Lord disciplines or corrects, uh, those are the ones he loves. Guys, the Lord oftentimes utilizes our spouses in marriage to correct us. And so we, we don't want to, you know, cut and, and exit 
our marital union from the scriptural application and think only as if it's an individually applied phenomenon, but that the Lord administers or displays his love for us by correcting us. And oftentimes the marital union is the vehicle that God wants to use to shave off those un, the, the, those, those uh, remnants of the sinful nature so that we can be conformed even more to the image of Christ. Yeah, I was just going to say that um, when you're saying that, you know, the understanding has to be, though, that there is a um, like a foundational layer of trust already there mm. for there to be that, um, of course, that vulnerability and that that safe space, if you will. Right. Because when when you correct me or when you address something or you expose something in me to myself that I have a character flaw or whatever. Um, of course, naturally, and you want to be defensive, but knowing that, number one, we have committed ourselves to honor God with everything that we do. Mm. And that's not like you turn it off and turn it on. You know, mm. that's that's a full-time thing. So if I know that already, that's foundation, right? And then if I know that you are a person who loves me, but also who is attempting to help me be more like Jesus— then I receive that. And it is a safe place for me to say, man, let me hear you out on this. Of course, it doesn't feel good to the flesh, but I need to die to the flesh daily, right? So I receive it. And so I think we've been able to do that with each other. And also, like whenever I've seen things um, that I'm like, man, I need to talk to Abe about this or whatever it is, I'm always asking and praying. I mean, seeing things, character you, deficiencies yeah, right. in me and, or sinful areas that, that need to be addressed in That's me. right. That's right. Because, you know, again— we have different experiences, different backgrounds, different ways of processing information. And so it's like, how do I communicate to him in a way that he can understand and in a way that is that is building up and not tearing down? Like we tell the kids all the time, you know, build up, build up, don't tear down. And so we can do that to each other. We can tear each other down by calling, like checking you. Right? I can just mm-hmm. check you like, oh, you're doing this wrong. You call yourself a preacher and look what you're doing. You know, like we could do that all day long. But that's not going to edify. That's not going to that's not going to bring you to the place where you need to be, where, I, you know, where the Lord wants us to be. And so um, it's knowing and understanding that one, we honor God, but also there's a foundation of foundational layer of trust with each other. Mm-hmm. Like I can talk to you about this and you know that I'm not just coming at you to attack you. Mm-hmm. Man, you, man, you're, what you're saying really give, has given me three questions. Um, man, do we have time for it? The clock is just as disrespectful and by design as it is on the Hamilton corner. I'm telling you. <laughs> so I'll start with the first one. Let's see if I can get them out succinctly. Uh, the first one. So you said that there is a foundational level of trust that allows the confronting uh, dialogue or more specifically the introduction of the confrontation that the necessary confrontation to be received properly. My question there is how do we establish how can couples listening to us right now, how can they grow to establish the type of trust you're describing to allow that to be the environment for the confrontation to begin? The, the second question that I have is, as you recognize, using me as an example, because I'm here, I'm in the studio, all right? When you, you recognize that there is an, a, an, an, a character flaw or a sinful area that needs to be confronted, how do you navigate uh, confronting that character flaw or sinful area, but doing so in an edifying manner. It almost seems like those oxymoron, oxymorons right. confront something but and edify simultaneously. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that? I'll start I'll stop there because I know that's enough questions. Yeah, thank you. The um the the foundational level of trust is is built, right? Like it's gradually built, but it doesn't have to be um 
it doesn't have to be a gradual many years of building of this trust. I mean, I think we had, this is just our experience, we've had a layer foundation that was built, of trust, I'm sorry, that was built early on. Um, but I think it started with us wanting to honor God. I keep saying that, but it's true. Like, mm-hmm. we just wanted, we wanted to make sure, we, first of all, let me say this. Abe and I did not have, uh, we didn't have um, the example before us of marriage that we were hoping to have. And so, um we were praying a lot, right? Like yeah. I remember I prayed and I remember telling your sisters, I prayed, Lord, help me to be the wife that he needs. Yeah. Like I have no idea, you yeah. know? And so we prayed and I think the main uh, foundational layer, if you will, was that God help us to honor you in our marriage as me as a wife and you as a husband. And so that right there is the birth, like the beginnings of us trusting each other because we know each other's hearts, right? Like I know you want to honor God. May I interject? And I don't want you to lose your train no, of cool. thought. Um, so what you just said is so critical because most of the people listening to us, if you look at the, the statistics that are prevalent in our society, uh, most people are coming from a background, maybe um, from broken homes, depending on the age mm-hmm. bracket, where not many people have a tangible example of a God-honoring, biblically anchored marriage that they would want to emulate. So our experience isn't necessarily uh, a minority experience right. in that regard. And then the point that you raise, and I, I, I don't want to gloss over that. Uh, that there was a significant amount of prayer in the earliest stages in our marriage. Uh, you, you, I know you remember this very well. I remember uh, when it hit me, I was like, man, I'm married. And I remember stretching out on the floor in our little bitty apartment in Houston to say, Lord, sh- I need you to show me how to be a husband. And because uh, I know what it's like to endeavor to be a godly man as an as a, as a unmarried man, you know, living in, you know, corporate America, whatever. But now I have a, I have a whole wife. <laughs> and at that point, I knew the, the things that I knew was what I did not want to repeat. But I didn't have clarity on the things I should affirmatively pursue right. in establishing myself as a head of a, of a family and as a godly man. So that there was a significant amount of prayer and me seeing you commit yourself in prayer to welcoming the spirit of God to lead you into being a godly wife. And I, and I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, you seeing me doing the same establish a established in practical reality, yeah. a recognition that, Oh snap, he's taking this thing seriously. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, Oh snap, she's taking this thing seriously. It made me even more confident in recognizing that man, uh, God has joined me to a godly woman. So I, I believe that we will be able to navigate, navigate this, Together, So simply put, having that visible, demonstrable commitment to honoring God in our union aided us, I believe, in establishing that foundation to recognize that as our flaws are expo- exposed, that they're not impediments to our oneness, uh, but they actually can aid us in our oneness as we are growing together in our relationship with the Lord within the context of our marital union. Yeah. You know, one thing I thought about, too, is that a lot of the times as believers, we're we're wanting to be married because we understand maybe um, naturally the understanding of companionship. Right. Mm. But we don't truly understand God's original intentions behind marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, his illustration. And you can go into that if, if you like. But um, I was thinking about um, the believer not having a biblical worldview in regards to marriage. Hold up. Hold up. But did you just say believer? Not having biblical worldview? I know. It's very sad. Is that a thing? Well, it is, is that a, a thing. Is that a thing thing? 
So what happens is that we analyze and we even go into marriage and then we function within marriage just from like a world's perspective. Like mm. we just got to make each other happy and maybe we got to compromise, find somewhere in the middle, um, you for me and I for you. And then we just go along our merry ways. And we that's kind of limited, though. Like, we, And then we don't realize that even if we just stay in, in that in that with that perspective, we don't get to enjoy the bounty and the freedom and all the beauty that marriage really is supposed to be based on what God designed it to be, you know, not just based on our understanding. And so anyways, I just, I've been praying, you know, also that, that God would help us to continue to have his perspective on marriage Mm. because marriage is not just for you and I, Mm. marriage is not only, it is also for our children, right? But it is also for those around us. I don't know that, you know, may uh god may draw for us to to reach so anyways it's just it's a lot bigger than just you know me making you happy and you making me happy mm. so mm, man you say so you're saying so much so many good things i have so many different things that are immediately popping up in my mind uh but to take it back to um the question that i mentioned before and i think your answer just now is actually may segue into this so with that understanding how then do we navigate so we've established sanctification is is intrinsic to one of God's functions for marriage. How do we navigate then when we see areas that need to be confronted in our spouse, for example, but we endeavor to confront them in an edifying manner? How do we confront simultaneously with edification and edify at the exact same time? Yeah, well, I'll try to answer that, but I want you to answer that too. Um, so... The the thought I had was that, um, of course, choosing the right words. So like an understanding, and I always tell you this, we're on the same team, we're on the same team. Because you and I have got have gone through times where we see things completely opposite. Like we either have arrived at our conclusions, uh, at different conclusions because of our way of reasoning or processing information, or it was just been a complete misunderstanding and we're speaking in two different languages, you know? Um, and so I always try to highlight it. We always say, you know, we're on the same team. Mm-hmm. Like no matter how much we're disagreeing, we're on the same team. So we got to work this out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think that sometimes, um, well, not sometimes, all the time, we have to make sure our words are seasoned with salt. Like everything, mm-hmm. because the Bible says, do everything heartily is unto the Lord and unto men. So mm-hmm. everything that we do is to honor God. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, oh, I need to say this right so that Abe won't get mad, or right. I need to say this right so that he can receive it. We want to make sure, sh- I want to make sure as a wife that I am talking to you, um, yes, in a respectful manner because you're my husband and I love you and you're, you know, you love a me. child of God. Okay. Yes, very much. Um, but also... In a, in a way that is going to um, honor God. Like mm-hmm. my words have, I don't, if I tear you down, I am sinning. Okay. I don't want to sin. I want to be able to speak to you, not to get the conclusion I want, but to, to make sure God is pleased. That's a critical point because you could be addressing an issue that needs to be addressed, confronting an issue that needs to, needs to be confronted, but do so in such a way where you commit sin in the process of doing yeah, so. Yeah, that doesn't help anything. Man. In response to the question I asked you, because and I asked you that because I think you do such an amazing job at this within our union. I'm just telling you the truth. When you do confront me, it's so gracious and so uh, gentle. And it's obvious that your investment is in me and us as a unit. Uh, but I think Matthew 18 comes to the fore. When sin is confronted within an ecclesiastical context, the, the spirit that is done in, based on Matthew 18, is first and foremost to gain a brother. Amen. 
It's not confrontation for confrontation's sake. It is to gain a brother. And so uh, when the motivation remains a God-honoring motivation, not merely, oh, uh-uh, I'm going to check this, or uh-uh, I can't let this happen. It's not, you know, you're not the, you know, junior Holy Spirit where you're just going to convict men of sin, but you're coming in serving in the spirit of God, in the grace of God, when the purpose is conciliatory, Amen. not merely confrontational. We are able to confront while edifying, which is an example where the book of Proverbs says a soft answer turns away wrath. The softness of the answer doesn't necessarily blunt the convicting results of that answer. So we can confront and edify simultaneously. This is by design.